Welcome to Beyond the Wins and Losses, a podcast discussing the Michigan difference with sports. Working together, the University of Michigan Athletic Department and the Ross School of Business Executive Education will strive to give our listeners an insight into the value of sports as a tool in society, business, and everyday life. As Wolverine coaches, student athletes, and the Michigan Ross Executive Education professors and administrators discuss this important link for personal and team growth. Now, here is our host, Bruce Modek. Well, welcome back to the Michigan Difference with Sports, and today we are having podcast number two with Greg Harden and Kim Cameron. Of course, Kim Cameron is the William Russell Professor of Management and Organization in the Ross School of Business and Professor of Higher Education in the School of Education. And as we have said so many times, the University of Michigan student-athletes and coaching staff have used lessons learned in sports to develop doctors, dentists, CEOs, COOs, astronauts, and even presidents of the United States. And in these podcasts, we're trying to get the Ross School of Business Executive Education Office and the Athletic Department of the University of Michigan to bring these athletes, coaches, and administrators together to talk about these attributes that help every individual in all their aspects of life and in the culture. Every story is different. Professor Cameron is an expert on the subject. Greg Harden is an expert on the subject. And I think that after last week's podcast that we talked about and how different individuals have all come together to, and they all want the same type of change and they want to have this type of change and yet they fight this type of change, how do you get to have individuals take a look at other individuals and expect that type of change from them? And how do you accept that? And that's what I think we want to talk about in today's podcast with a couple of stories and how that goes. And, and, and Greg, you, you have seen this uh, a hundred times. Everybody thinks that everybody should be like themselves. <laughs> and yet you have to work with so many different people. And sports provides that, too. So when you see these individuals coming in, how do you tell them to work with these other people? What do you tell them to expect from these other people? Well, uh, that's a, uh, first off, I'm glad to be back. Thank you, Bruce, for uh, being uh, the host of a very special opportunity to demonstrate uh, the relationship between Michigan Athletics and the Ross Business School, especially the area of executive education. Um, I think your question begins to open up the door to talk about uh, how do you get people to uh, embrace others, especially people with different backgrounds. Um, one of the things you have to begin to help people understand is the question that all of us have is, why should I change? And you have to help people understand what's in it for me. So uh, one of the things we try to do is help people begin to see that there is a, a value added if they begin to broaden their perspective, uh, see more than they've traditionally seen. You have to help people understand that prejudice is part of being a human being. We prejudge. <laughs> and we need to help people understand the stereotypes are something that we need to look at periodically because we are all stereotyped. 
But when we start talking about being a team, when we start talking about being a highly functional organization, uh, we have to have, have people begin to see that there is a real added value if I can communicate more effectively with the people who I need in order to be successful. Uh, I don't care how selfish you are, you have to be, uh, have to have a, a way of turning that into a positive. How do you turn selfishness into a positive? It is in my best interest to get along with you because I want to win. <laughs> it's in my best interest to figure out how to be more effective in communicating with you because we want to make more money. So there is a, a way of helping people uh, get a clue. And, but we cannot, uh, for example, you cannot uh, just say it's the right thing to do and that's what we need to do. You've got to help me understand what's in it for me. That's my opinion. So when you're talking, Kim, about what is in it for you, is it, you know, you play basketball. Is it, is it a little bit easier to talk about that in sports than it is in business? Uh, I think probably not any easier in either setting. And the reason for that, <coughs> excuse me, there's some interesting data, at least I, was, I think it's interesting, that shows that if a person is significantly overweight, obese, the probability of dying early is 20%. If a person is an excessive drinker, the probability of dying early is 30%. All the MBAs want to know what excessive means. <laughs> <laughs> Can you define it? <laughs> if you are a smoker, probability of dying early, 50%. If you are in poor social relationships, probability of dying early, 70%, and in one study, 90 That is, personal relationships, interpersonal relationships we form with other people matters a lot, more than the physiological factors that often dominate us. Well, why is that? There's a lot of reasons for that, of course, but what Greg is illustrating is, and, and does so well, he's so gifted at, is helping people create relationships, regardless of hair color, height, sport, skin color, ethnicity, place of birth, gender, none of those things matter so much, nearly so much, as the extent to which you create a flourishing interpersonal relationship. And he's a master at that, and it wins games. It helps organizations perform better. It helps you make more money. It helps you serve clients better. It helps create more loyalty among both customers and employees, and so on. So the relationship part of that is crucial. It matters a lot. And again, there's hardly anybody on the planet does a better job than Greg Harden at cra crafting those kinds of dynamics in a very short amount of time with incredibly skilled people who are t sometimes narrow-minded and think, I just need to make sure I'm in the box score. And he helps create teams. I mean, everybody knows teams do better than single individuals. Many years ago, when the bad boys, the NBA, won the NBA championship, they played Los Angeles Lakers. I remember one of those years. The Lakers had, I don't know, four out of five guys were all-star NBA players. Pistons didn't have particularly anybody on the Isaiah Thomas, probably. But they won because they were a team compared to a bunch of all-stars. Those relationships matter a lot just in helping success occur. Business, sport families, uh, just in general, in our lives. Greg, is that 
when you hear that, that means that you have to talk about individuals' roles on teams and how you get them to understand that role. I come in as a all-American five-star recruit. Yes, sir. That's difficult. I even come in as a two-star recruit. It's got to be difficult because <laughs> I think I'm better than a two-star. But I'm not playing. I'm second-team running back. I'm sitting there. Somebody else is playing in front of me in golf uh, that I think I ought to be playing in front of them. How do you how do you take this role? Because it's got to be with relationships. Because you had talked earlier in the previous podcast about mental fitness, but relationships in this mental fitness um, really have to be predominant. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you tell them about the roles? Well, one of the things that happens is you've got to give people an opportunity to understand that. Everyone says they want to be big time. And if you go to a school like Michigan, Notre Dame, Texas, USC, uh, Ohio, various schools, you made it to the big time. And to come in as a, a five-star, four-star, three-star recruit, I mean, you got to, you've got to help people understand that they, are, they were exceptional in high school. But everybody now that they will encounter was exceptional in high school. Uh, we've got a kid that was um, an unbelievable running back. He was uh, a brute, and, but he was uh, 235 pounds going against 125, 45 <laughs> pound individuals all his life. Gets here, you got a linebacker as fast as you are. <laughs> so to adapt and to adjust, uh, what you have to teach people is like um, how to be committed to understanding that successful people adapt better and faster than the average person. Uh, you have to adapt and ch your role has changed when you've come here. There will be a handful, a rare moment where somebody will get off the boat from high school and start. That's going to be an anomaly. The average person has to be reminded what it was like for them in the ninth grade. In the ninth grade, the average person did not walk onto the field of play and dominate. The average person evolved and grew into the role. So what you have to help first-year students understand um, is that this may be similar. It's not radical. It's not that the coach doesn't like you. You don't know the plays. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's no longer just, well, I'm stronger and faster than everyone. You actually have to study. What people, one of the most, and I segue, and because I love it, talking about linemen. Linemen are all, always stereotyped as being big brutes and sometimes fantasize, people fantasize that they're not the brightest boys in the world. They have to know every bloody play, <laughs> not just running plays, not just passing plays. They have to be the person that can tell the quarterback what's going on. They have to be so sophisticated. And if they go to the pros, the, they get a, a binder, uh, no longer a binder, of course. They <laughs> but they, they have to be, be able to process and take in tons and tons of information. So... To walk off the boat and to think that you should be able to start instantly is uh, naive. And so what we have to help people do is begin to put in perspective what they've signed up for. And that 
um, the opportunity to play will come. So changing roles, finding out your, what is your role, being a part of the team. Uh, if you take it another step, there are certain sports that really weren't teams until they got to college. Uh, imagine trying to coach uh, a golf team, a tennis team. <laughs> Uh, think about what we talked about swimming and diving last time. A swimmer, you talk about Lone Wolf McQuaid. (laughs) You're talking about a person who is in their own head and all they see is white lines going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Developing them into a team is a real art form and our coaches are brilliant at making that happen. But helping people understand that there's a role to play. Uh, We don't win national championships unless that walk-on, the walk-on, my favorite people on the team, uh, is doing their job. If they are not doing their job, we don't win. If that person who is second, third uh, team on the basketball team cannot help demonstrate uh, what the other offense is going to do and how their defense is going to play, we don't win that game. My favorite people are walk-ons because they are real clear that they love the sport because the beatings they take <laughs> and the abuse that they have to endure and to keep coming back knowing they will not start is unbelievable. But here in our institution, we've had walk-ons not just start but become captains of the team. He's talking about Wolf McQuaid and <laughs> swimming. But, Kim, in business – You see that a lot where people have not really come from teams. All they see are those white lines as they go back and forth and not able to break it into what it's going to be for the business and for the company, the organization. That has got to be a a very difficult piece of consulting when you talk to these individuals and how you change their roles and understand do you how do you do it and do you use some of these ideas and do athletes really do they do a better job in trying to create that team athletes certainly learn lessons that are impossible to learn or very difficult to learn in any other way i mean athletics is an incredible tutor for uh, young men and young women uh, help them helping them make success uh, successful lives later i have a son-in-law who played professional basketball who now works for Pepsi as it turns out and he said he was the captain of his team and he said I it's unbelievable how much I'm using from those athletic experiences now when he's running a big team inside that organization but so athletics he he attributes uh, virtually his it's equivalent of an MBA you know to his athletic experience but the back when Greg was talking about these people who are sort of selfish or self-centered or at least narrow-minded, and they just say, "I'm, you know, I am what counts," that certainly happens in business a lot. <coughs> Excuse me, and in organizations. And when it does, organizations never perform as well as they could otherwise. I mean, the research is so clear. There's sort of a truism now that. Teams almost always, more than 80% of the time, teams will do better than the best individual or the expert when on, on complex tasks. So the truism is teams always make complex tasks simple. 
trouble is teams sometimes make simple tasks complex. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not universal <laughs> by any means. But Greg putting teams together that are high functioning right away uh, just teaches young men and young women how, uh, the importance of that, how to do it, and, and why it's so significant, because it certainly is in business. I mean, there's a whole bunch of research that suggests that's the case. Now, if I'm going to try to help a leader do that, um, Mike Bottom, the swimming and diving coach who w with whom we've had a podcast in the past, has some of his swimmers keeping gratitude journals mm. and keeping track of positive things that happen in their lives. And Greg helps people do the same kind of thing. Um, there are th there was an interesting, at least again, interesting to me study where they simply took heart disease patients. These were people all who have suffering from heart disease. And I didn't know this, but you can apparently detect or diagnose whether or not you have heart disease on the basis of blood chemistry. So they have a whole set of people who have heart disease. Then half of these people were put in an experimental condition. The other half in what's called a control condition. Nothing happened to them, but the other half were assigned to keep a gratitude journal for eight weeks, writing in their journal at least three things every day for which they were grateful or the best things that happened to them today. At the end of eight weeks, they simply did blood chemistry studies, and those who had been keeping the journals were significantly healthier in their hearts. Their blood chemistry numbers were significantly better. Point of that is there are small practices where you can begin turning people around from being selfish, self-aggrandizing individuals who say, I'm all that matters, and all of a sudden you turn them into people who say, you know what, there's something bigger than me, something more important than just my reward. Um, another interesting study, at least for me, <coughs> done here at Michigan, they took entering freshmen, uh, one of my psycho psychological colleagues, asked each of these freshmen, entering freshmen at Michigan, to identify their goals for the year. She categorized the goals into two types. One type were called achievement goals. I want to get good grades, I want to be popular, I want to make the team, or whatever. The other kind of goal was called contribution goals. I want to make a difference, I want to have something get better because of what I've contributed. Then, and so she put people in two groups depending on which type of goal was dominant for them as they started their freshman year. Then the study was to follow these kids over academic year, nine months, measuring things like how well they get along with roommates, uh, how many times they made the team or got elected to a club office or something, social factors, what their grade point average was at the end of each semester, what their test scores were, cognitive factors, how many minor physiological symptoms, how many times they got a cold or a flu or cramps or headache or something, physiological factors. On every single dimension, contribution goals trumped achievement goals. It's what people contributed more than what they got that predicted performance. Cognitive performance, social performance, and so on. Physiological functioning. So the notion that Greg is highlighting is he's helping people just see, you know what, there's something more important than just your reward. And when you get that, you do better. Your performance is actually higher than when you're selfish and only worrying about Make sure I get what I need. I've got a case in point, uh, and 
And Professor Cameron uh, just opens up the door for us to begin to see that this is not just psychobabble. This is uh, concrete, measurable, scientific proof. Uh, it makes it clear that when you start seeing yourself uh, as more than just an individual, uh, when you begin to see that uh, there's a, a bigger, something larger that you can, can, can focus on. Uh, the case that I'd like to bring uh, forward is a young man named Jason Avant. Jason Avant was one of the most amazing uh, athletes I have ever seen in my life. Uh, Jason will tell you the story himself, that when he got here as a first-year student, he was depressed and overwhelmed and angered by the fact that he was not playing. He was on the sideline during the games, and we're winning the game, and he's angry and frustrated and s sullen and, and just irritated. And... Uh, he talked to a couple other players, uh, a couple of people who uh, were alumni, and they had noticed. And he was complaining to them, and he was whining and moaning and groaning and, and carrying on about how unfair it was. And they began to talk to him about what it meant to be a part of something larger than yourself. They began to talk to him about how important it was to be uh, connected at another level other than just thinking about himself as an individual. Jason Avant began to, when he talks about his story, that's how he starts his story. And how the next year he came in and he had a, a totally different mindset. Um, he was cheering for the guy that was starting in front of him. He began to embrace what it meant to be at Michigan. He began to see that he was more than, uh, uh, you got to understand, his circumstances had it set up so that he was desperate to be successful, given where his family was. And he was the one that was going to be the, he was the chosen one. He was going to be the one to change the family legacy. And so it, it was in his heart. It wasn't just selfishness. It was in his heart that he had to do well. He had to do good enough to get into the pros. Well, he increased his chances of being in the pros when he stopped trying to be the star, when he stopped trying to be number one. He was never identified as the number one wide receiver. But when it was showtime and go time, and when we needed a first down, and when we needed to make sure that the, that the play worked, we went to Jason Avant. Guess what Jason Avant did after that? He went to the Philadelphia Eagles, a place where the fans, if they don't like you, <laughs> will hurt your feel. They dogged Santa Claus yeah. <laughs> in yeah. Philly. You understand? Jason Avant became one of the most popular players in the NFL history and had a longevity, the likes of which the average person can't comprehend. But he had that because he stopped wanting to be a star and began committed to being a winner and being a part of something bigger than himself and to believe in a formula and to believe in the system. And he, he t I mean, I just love talking about Jason Avant. So if you, if you want to study somebody, if you want to look at somebody that captures what, what uh, Kim is saying, uh, Jason Avon is one of those stories. And we have dozen stories like that about individuals who came in with a one mindset. Uh, Nick Stauskas, most, one of the most recent people. Nick Stauskas wanted to be a star, also period. Phil also Philadelphia. <laughs> you understand? Yeah. He wanted to be yeah. a star. And I said, well, it's going to be a lot of stars uh, that the NBA can choose from.
perhaps being a winner will increase your stock. And the only way you can be a winner, son, is if you begin to operate as a teammate, to begin to understand your role, to play your role more effectively and not be preoccupied with who's scoring the most. Tim Hardaway is another story. Tim Hardaway is now that guy. And Tim Hardaway, you talk about pressure. Tim Hardaway Jr., I mean, his daddy was the real deal Holyfield, right? Yeah. And so, but, and, and the pressure on him to be a star was legendary. And he became in, in, in invested and obsessive about being a winner. And he helped forge an unbelievable chemistry on the team. He and Trey Burke went absolutely nuts as teammates and not as just individuals trying to be the best. Greg, Kim, thank you again. Uh, just wonderful uh, discussion, and uh, I'm sure we've even opened up uh, more doors and more conversations down the road because uh, when you take a look at sports and you take a look at how it intersects with business, it's very important that individuals understand that sports does indeed play a major role. Greg, you've explained it quite well. Kim, I enjoy having you here talking about it. It's very good. You know, one thing about Jason Avant and what really is kind of interesting is I do follow Jason. Jason's a friend of mine and follow him. He has really gone. When the Philadelphia Eagles made it to the Super Bowl, he might have been their number one fan. And that's tough in sports and professional sports. People seem to come back to the colleges, but he stayed and, you know, he loved the Philadelphia Eagles. And he wasn't a player. He wasn't talking about it. He was talking it as a fan. He loved Philadelphia. He loved the Eagles. He became something bigger than himself. And, uh, Greg, you got to get a lot of credit for that because uh, he is one heck of an individual. Once again, want to thank everybody for joining us for the Michigan Difference with Sports in this podcast. Kim Cameron, again, from the Ross Business School, thank you. Greg Harden from the University of Michigan Athletic Department, thank you. And we'll be back with more of this type of discussion in our next podcast. I'm Bruce Motte. Thank you for joining us. This has been another edition of Beyond the Wins and Losses a podcast discussing the Michigan difference with sports. This podcast is a combined effort by the University of Michigan Athletic Department and the Ross School of Business Executive Education, working together to advance the University of Michigan mission to serve the people of Michigan and the world through preeminence in creating, communicating, preserving, and applying knowledge, art, and academic values and in developing leaders and citizens who will challenge the present and enrich the future.